Well, how many of you are giving something up or taking something on special during the Lenten season? Yeah, very good, very good. A lot of us do that. We may give up chocolate, desserts, take a break from social media here and there. Some, I've heard, give up cussing. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. Or somebody might give up a meal or two during the week and donate that to a, a good cause. Some of us do positive things, like writing thank yous, special notes to people that maybe we take for granted the rest of the time. Or we do random acts of kindness, by, like paying for that meal of somebody's behind you. Or we volunteer for a short time. Or some of us will do something for our own spiritual development, like, like studying the Lenten study guide that we have out there in the Great Hall for you as well. This series is going to take a look at some things that we got to give up maybe permanently or forever. Things like habits and personality traits, sometimes our attitudes about life. Things that need to be redeemed by God in order that God can be more for us in our everyday life. Today we're going to talk about giving up control. And I'm sure none of you here have that problem at all, right? Well, I have a daughter in Evansville used to be blessed by having her live just one mile from us when she was first married. It was wonderful to be able to hop back and forth. She attended my previous church at Old Bethel, and then they moved to Evansville. And we have talked many times. My daughter, Kelsey, would like to get into a church home, but for the longest time, especially when they were just recently married young adults, they were always on the go always visiting friends or somebody's getting married on the weekend or coming home to see family. It seemed like they were hardly home to get started to establish a faith community someplace. And then the kids came along. And especially at first, it puts on even more pressure. But now they're reaching the time where they've got their, their children in place and they know they need something more. They want that spiritual family. They want that, that training and the values of the faith. And so we keep talking about it. And I tell you, I'm doing my part. Anytime I go down there, I, I usually scout out ahead of time all the Methodist churches down in Evansville, and I try to find one that might work. A couple years ago, we tried one. I thought, this is going to be perfect. Just a couple miles from the home. It's a recent, uh, not too long, two church, a new church start. and had lots of young families, and we went there. And would you believe not a single person spoke to us? Not a one. I mean, I even put myself right in the middle of the hallway. You had to walk right by me, and not a single person stopped and said, oh, I don't recognize you or anything like that. And the pastor, for some reason, on that particular Sunday, chose to do a blessing of oil, and he was the only person that could do that, and the service went 35 minutes long. Wasn't a great first impression, let me tell you. I tried, we tried another one another time I was down there. It was the downtown church. Lovely historic church. They, kind of, they were excited about being downtown. The pastor had a great message, but there was hardly any young people around. So they just weren't quite sure that would fit. And now they actually have their children in daycare at a United Methodist Church. You'd think, hey, this might be the opportunity. And they talked about it. They enjoyed the Christmas program they had recently. And I even looked up, and the pastor there went to the same seminary I went to, which is always a good thing. And then they got a new pastor. And Kelsey called me a few weeks back, and she said, Dad, I had the strangest experience with the new pastor. I think he was just trying to be funny, but it was kind of weird. So that one's shot out of the water. 
And then a few weeks ago, now you tell me if this is being controlled. A few weeks ago, she sent me a picture of this new non-denominational church that they went to, obviously geared towards people her generation. She sent me a picture of the vision statement up on the wall. It looked pretty cool. And I just couldn't help myself. But I texted her and said, so how do they feel about women in the pulpit? Now, is that controlling? Maybe I got a little bit on this. I mean, can you blame a United Methodist pastor wanting their children to go to United Methodist Church? Well, I'm sure you have none of those control issues. Do you ever squirm in the passenger seat when someone else is driving, maybe get a little close to somebody? Or have you ever been in the car and you're just sure that you're going the wrong direction? But you know that driver's too proud to stop and ask for directions? Or how do you handle your children when they're obviously going to make some bad decisions? Do you control? Do you dictate? Do you overprotect to make sure that they don't ever fall and fail? Or have you ever given advice to your adult children that clearly is unwanted or ignored? Well, maybe that's not a problem for any of you. Some of us are more easygoing. We take life as it's come. But I imagine all of us have had somebody that you've experienced as controlling in your life. There's just too many of them around for that not to happen. Sometimes that controlling behavior is very obvious. With a dominant personality, someone who always speaks over people or speaks more loudly. Other times it's not so obvious. you got that passive-aggressive behavior or they give you the silent treatment or they, they, they make those subtle insults or they fail to complete agreed-upon task. And sometimes people need to have control by letting you know that you don't quite measure up. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't quite seem to do it good enough. Bart Smith shares some good advice on how to handle controlling people. First thing is keep your cool. Take a deep breath. You don't have to react right in that moment. You can say to somebody, let me get back with you. Gives you a chance to think through your strategy. Or I just need time to think about it. Your calmness in those situations is your power. So give yourself some space to process what's going on. Secondly, choose your battles. I imagine most of us have had that experience with, with someone else on the road, and it's tempting to get into that road rage exchange and letting them know how you feel. But is it really worth Reacting that way with a total stranger that you will probably never see again. But if it's something that's very important to you, maybe your partner wants you to give up something, you can say, let's have a conversation about it. Third, realize that it's not personal, because usually somebody that has control issues, it's really nothing to do with you. It's about them and their need. Controllers realize that if they can't control you, they'll find some way to Maybe speak ill, spread false information about you. So still always know that truth will win out. Just take the high road. Fourth, use self-affirmation with yourself to intercept doubt and negativity. If someone's not treating you respectfully, don't be a doormat. You have a right to set your boundaries, your own priorities. Maybe the best thing to say to yourself is, every decision I make is right for me. Doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, it's your decision. Own your power to decide what works for you. And finally, reframe the relationship, not your problem. 
Keep in mind, people control because they do not feel secure in their own environment. So they assert their power. And controlling behavior comes from insecurity. So a great response is to say, to choose to have compassion for someone else. Because you can set your own boundaries. You don't have to worry about fixing them or fixing the situation. Let's get back to our own need for control. I think there's some insights that are really helpful to us when we think about when we feel that need, wanting to keep things under control. The important thing to realize is that, that our need for control comes and goes. Uh, we'll have it in certain times, in certain times of insecurity, in certain situations, in other places. You can let things go. You are not necessarily a controlling person because you feel a need to control in certain places of your life. That does not make you a controlling person. And the bottom line for us is we need to realize that there are so many things that we cannot and will not ever have control. You think about the jobs that, that we have. So many of us, our job security is dependent on the proper CEO making the best decisions for the good of the company. You don't have control of that. Or some of us have jobs in areas that involves consumers. Consumers are always on the move with their taste. It's a moving target. And so if you don't keep up, sometimes you lose control over that. Or how about the food that we put into our bodies? We go to the store, we buy something with often little idea where it was grown, how it was grown, what's been put into it, what's the processing network effort going into it. There's so much we, we don't know. Or have you thought about when you drive down that two-lane highway, how dependent you are on that other person going the other direction? You hope that they've not been drinking. You hope that they've got their phone put away and not texting and driving. There's so many ways that we have so little control. It's a good thing to be aware. And it's good to know that our need for control is a really a basic human need. It's a natural thing. And we feel that need the strongest when our lives feel out of control. A cancer diagnosis is a good example. You hear that C word, and boy, everything gets turned upside down. Your life is in disarray. Or you have a child that can't seem to find their way makes you question everything you've done, even though you've done so many things right. You cannot control your children in each and every situation, whatever environment they're in. Some of you were here for the Lenten breakfast by the UMW Wednesday morning. You heard Reverend Todd Alcott, our former pastor here, was sharing the story in his own family, and I was so impressed the way he told it. And he's sharing that they have a son who's had trouble finding his way in life, and he actually is living homeless in Hawaii. Now, if you're going to be homeless, that's a pretty good place to be, isn't it? <laughs> He's actually lived the last two years on his own in the wild. And what impressed me was that Todd told it with such peace. Now, I know Becky and Todd. I, I know that uh, it's been a struggle, but I was so impressed that they have dealt with that. They've let go of that need to control and realize it's their son's life, and they'll be there for him. And pray for him, by the way, because she said that this coming week, he actually is joining the Marines. So life's going to get different, I think. But here's the most important thing about control. We don't have to have total control of our lives to function well in life. But what we do need is a sense of control. 
We need a sense of control. Let me explain what I mean by that. Well, think about how you feel when you get a bad diagnosis. And at first, your world's upside down. Your feelings of, of what's, you can't count on anything. And then you get all the test results in. And then the doctor says, here's our plan of treatment. And you're given something you can do. And even though the outcome is still uncertain, you have a certain amount of sense of control because there's something you can do now. You got the information. It's helpful. Another way we see this lived out, kind of on the flip side of it, if you're parenting children, you've probably noticed something if you're an effective parent. If you're always telling your children what they got to wear, where they're going to go, what activities they're going to do, you find that that doesn't go so well. But you learn if you give them choices, they handle things much better because you give them a sense of control. Now, a wise parent makes sure that you put only choices out there that you can live with, right? But there are choices that gives them a sense of power. And the most important way that we can gain a sense of power is choosing to cede control over things that we cannot fully handle on our own. We do that sometimes with experts, people in a field that maybe is so complicated, but you decide, I can trust this person, this expert, this authority, and I'm going to go with that. That helps you somehow navigate the confusion and the lack of control that you feel. And this gets lived out most completely when we choose to cede control to God in our life. I don't know how many times I've heard a parent who's had a child go their own way and often make choices that's so complicating their lives. And they've said to me, I simply had through prayer decide, I'm going to let go, and I'm going to give this child to God, and I'll just have to trust that things will work out. By letting go and letting God, they gained a sense of control that they needed. Well, our scriptures today give us the inspiration we need to find that ability to cede control to God. And if you put the two scriptures together, that's where we get the contrast that's helpful to us to figure out how we need to navigate this. Because on the one hand, we get the story of Adam and Eve. And they're placed in the garden, and they're given all this freedom, all this control. They can eat of any tree in the garden. That's hundreds of trees. That's perhaps thousands of trees, except for this one. Just this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And why did God place that one tree in there? Why did he give them that difficult choice? Because that choice is choosing whether you're going to let God be God or you're going to try to control and do it your own way. It's a failure of trust in the God who's given them all these good things. It's letting God be God because they are not. They are the creatures and he is the creator. And the serpent who represents all the things in life that, that plant that mistrust in our lives worms his way in and just with a little subtle lie, just a little one, convinces them that God is not fully trustworthy. And so they choose poorly. And then we have the story of Jesus' temptations. And some scholars believe that Matthew put this story in here as the reversal of the story of Adam and Eve. That where they got it wrong, Jesus gets it right. He goes out into the wilderness 
And the temptations are three, and they seem to represent things that he'll probably experience throughout his life of ministry here on earth. But every one of them, if you try to analyze them, it's the choice of whether you're going to let God be in control or if he's going to take control. Whether he throws himself down from the pinnacle of the temple for God to save him or whether he produces the bread that he needs to eat, each time his response is that, I belong to God. Jesus knew who he was because he knows whose he belongs to. He belongs to God. And that is the same choice that we're given. Jesus responds by refusing to establish his own worth and identity on his own terms, but instead remains dependent on God. And Jesus knows who he is, that is, by remembering whose he is. David Lowe suggests that the most important thing to decide in being human is being aware that we are insufficient, that we're incomplete by ourselves. That lack in us is that is a permanent condition. We'll never be fully in control. And honestly, do we want to be? We gain the sense of control by ceding the control of our lives, or at least the micromanaging of our lives, to the God who deserves our trust. Adam and Eve thought that they complete that lack, that emptiness, by eating the fruit. And they discovered that the emptiness remains. And today, we do the same thing. We try to fill that with something we can own, somebody we can control, or something we can buy. But only God can fill that void. Only God can give us a sense of control. So this season of Lent, consider giving up control. I believe you'll find that life will go better. So let's pause and invite you to put your hands together with your palms open and close your eyes and imagine what is that one thing in your life or that one person or that one situation that you just want to hang on to and you try to control, you try to manipulate. Keep those palms open and gently lift it up to God and say in your hearts that, God, this is yours. I want to share it with you. I know my way will never quite get the job done. So let me let go and trust and be patient and give your spirit time to work things out. And you, I will trust. In Jesus' name, amen.